Hey y'all, before we begin, I want to make sure you know about my live parent workshops. One Friday a month, I host a live virtual parent workshop on topics related to raising neurodivergent kids and teens. We cover topics like how to talk to your child about their diagnosis, how to support negative self-talk, and navigating school for your child. You can register for workshops one at a time, or you can become an all-access subscriber on Substack for instant access to all the workshops and replays. To browse the workshop library and subscribe, go to learnwithdremily.substack.com and click Parent Workshops. Hey y'all, before we begin, if you're a school administrator who loves watching your teachers and students thrive, but you feel your staff needs more training to meet the needs of such a diverse group of learners, I am here for you. I am now offering professional development for pre-K through 8th grade educators, both in-person and virtually. For more information about pricing and scheduling, go to learnwithdremily.com schools to get started. When people find Tilt and, and dive in, like, or they, they'll read the first chapter and they're like, oh my God, I, I cried through this. I could have written this chapter. Like this was our life. And oh my God, I didn't know anybody else felt this way. And knowing that I've created something that has helped some people feel seen in that way, that's like the first step because we can't start to shift things. We can't do the work on ourselves if we are stuck in this fear mindset, like this is terrible. Nobody else knows how hard this is. This will always be hard. Welcome to Learn with Dr. Emily, the podcast where parents and teachers come together for neurodivergent youth. I'm your host, Dr. Emily King, child psychologist and former school psychologist, and I am on a mission to help everyone understand that nurturing neurodivergent children isn't about changing them, but about changing us. Each week, I share my thoughts on topics related to child development, mental health, parenting, education, and parent-teacher collaboration. You can read more on my Substack at learnwithdremily.substack.com or listen here. So let's get started with today's topic. Hey everyone, today I am welcoming Debbie Reber to the podcast. Hey Debbie. Hi Emily, nice to be here. It's so great to have you on. Um, I'm so excited to share you with my audience who already probably knows you well. Um, I think I have lots of parents in my audience already who listen and learn from you. So I want to jump in and give a little background on Debbie in case you are meeting her here for the first time. So Debbie Reber is a parenting activist, best-selling author, speaker, and the CEO and founder of Tilt Parenting, a resource, top-performing podcast, consultancy, and community with a focus on shifting that paradigm for parents raising and embracing neurodivergent children. The Tilt Parenting Podcast has more than 5 million downloads and a slate of guests that includes high-profile thought leaders across the parenting and education space, a regular contributor to Psychology Today and Attitude Magazine. Debbie's most recent book is Differently Wired, A Parent's Guide to Raising an Atypical Child with Confidence and Hope. In 2018, she spoke at TEDx Amsterdam delivering a talk entitled Why the Future Will Be Differently Wired. So I just wanted to thank you so much for your time today. And let's get started talking about the power of community. Let's do it. Okay. So many listeners already know your story, 
But for those who don't, let's start there. So tell us how you arrived on this parenting journey. Yeah, I'll give kind of the abridged version, but (laughs) basically I am the parent of a differently wired kid. It was not something that we knew right away, but kind of took my husband and I off guard because we had a plan and vision for how things were going to unfold in our parenting life and who our kid would be and how they would navigate mm-hmm. the world and what school they would go to and all of those things. And Isn't that funny how we do that? <laughs> yeah. It was very clear. And I'm really good at setting uh, goals or working towards what I want and then making it happen. But that was not really the agenda that Asher had. And so as we kind of discovered throughout preschool and then early elementary through lots of feedback and challenging situations and tricky behavior and a lot of frustration and overwhelm, we started to kind of discover that Asher was neurodivergent and is twice exceptional and has a lot of kind of different neurodevelopmental differences that that show up and create challenges in certain environments. And so, you know, as a parent, that was really overwhelming for us and just felt at the time, you know, my child's 18 now. So this was a good 10 plus years ago that there just wasn't access to a lot of positive Mm -hmm. strengths-based resources. And that didn't feel great as a parent. And I just didn't think it was okay that we were feeling like outliers or like we really kind of drew the short straw here and that we had to kind of forge this path on our own when I knew that there were so many other parents going through similar things. And yeah, so fast forward many years later, you know, we've gone through a a lot together. I homeschooled for a number of years. I really kind of dove into this bigger paradigm and what is broken and why parents like us are struggling so much. And I just decided, you know, when I get to a better place in my parenting, I want to help other parents who are earlier on in this journey kind of skip over the painful part and and shift into that strengths-based approach earlier because our kids, our families, and us as parents, we, we all really suffer when we're kind of stuck in this fix-it mode and feeling like we're doing it all alone. Yeah. And my um, oldest son is 15. So one of the things that sticks out to me as we're talking about this is how different things are now. And you've been a huge part of changing that landscape. But I think just in the last 15 to 18 years, Mm -hmm. I feel a huge difference as a child psychologist helping families, but also like thinking back on my parenting journey when we first had concerns about my son. I, I mean, the biggest thing I remember that's different is um, we didn't even have Facebook groups. Yeah. You know, I remember like trying to Google things like, where are these people? Like I, and I had the added issue of separating my professional from my personal life. So I couldn't just become mom friends with my clients' moms, you know? So it was a little tricky for me, but I'm curious what you have seen transpire. Like, what do you think is like the the most helpful thing that has happened in these last like 15 to 18 years to support parents? I agree with you. The landscape has totally changed and 
my best resource was a list serve out of right. the Bay Area. Like I was living in Seattle. I don't know how I found this list serve, but it was a gold mine of information. And I could see parents talking about things. I'm like, oh my God, that's what's happening here. And it was mm-hmm. so exciting to find those people. But yeah, no Facebook groups, none of this. I think it's been incredible to see what's happened. I think there have been a lot of shifts one of the bigger shifts is that I think a lot of adults have self-identified or discovered their own neurodivergence and they're really motivated. You know, a lot of these adults are vocal and leaders in the neurodiversity movement. And that has just really kind of helped with visibility and, and understanding what that being autistic or having ADHD doesn't necessarily look the way many of us thought it looked. So I think that has really helped with just visibility and awareness. And yeah, I think the language has evolved so much. That's Mm -hmm. been really interesting to see, you know, moving away from more pathologized language and, and kind of embracing these new terms, you know, I mean, twice exceptionality, it's not a new term, you know, Susan Baum, I don't remember when she coined that phrase, Mm -hmm. but if she's the one who coined it, but she's, she's a thought leader in that space. Mm -hmm. But, you know, 10 years ago, I I would guess if you pulled a room full of teachers, there'd be maybe one or two that knew what that meant. And I, mm-hmm. I just feel like there's just a more understanding of things like that and moving away again from this deficit-based approach to, to the way we're considering neural differences and hopefully shifting to really looking at the strengths and embracing the variances in brains instead of trying to fix them. I mean, that's obviously you and I, the people we hang out with are all really committed to this (laughs) mission. So I don't know if, you know, that's happening everywhere, but I definitely see a lot of momentum in that direction. Yeah. Well, I also feel like we're in this generational shift of our age parents. You know, I grew up in the eighties and and the early nineties and having a disability was always stigmatized and othered and special education was over there. And there were, you know, of our mindset, like you just said, the language shifting, we are the ones having to do the heavy lifting. Our kids are so much better at shifting language and and just letting everyone decide what they, what they want. And, you know, all the identity first language that is, you know, so represented and supported now, I think, we are the ones that it's so hard to shift how we were raised on not wanting to other people and and listening to all these adults, right? Mm-hmm. So I think so much of that shift is grow, you know, getting us away as parents from that fear that we had. And I think it's deeply rooted in the emotions we had when our kids were young and we started to see concerns. And I'm always really interested in digging into why I had fear and scared scared feelings about my child being different. And I have also seen that evolve in working with parents. Now I'm working with parents who are younger than I am. As I get older, my my client base of parents gets younger and I can see it just in that generational change starting to happen, which is exciting. But I also think that, you know, in going back to like, have we have had those feelings in our own mental health, that's where we need that community. So Let's talk for a minute about 
I, th- I think, like you said, you found that listserv and you're like, these are my people. Like they're, mm-hmm. it's like you were grasping for not feeling lonely. And I think 15 years ago, it was a lonely parent journey. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, what comes to mind when you think of like those early days and if anyone is out there feeling lonely, there are way more resources now is our point. And I think that things are so much more hopeful, but what other thoughts would you add to a, a parent who's newly on this journey today? Yeah, I think it is really interesting. There is still a lot of stigma and just Mm -hmm. misunderstanding about what neurodivergence looks like and what it means for a child's trajectory or their potential. And so I think when parents are newer to the journey, it is easier to find people, but I think that fear is still a part of it because most of us didn't become parents assuming that our kids were going to have neurodevelopmental differences. Like we, we, you know, probably think their childhood's going to be very similar to ours and whether or not we had neurodevelopmental differences diagnosed or not. Um, But we, you know, we had this kind of plan. And so I think no, no matter what, there's going to be that kind of moment or which could last years, you know, Mm -hmm. if you're not willing to kind of lean into it where you have to recognize this is not what I expected. And that, you know, I see a lot of parents kind of play small or get quiet or, or not want to be vocal about what's happening because they are concerned about how they'll be perceived as parents, judgment from other people, from teachers, from other parents in the kid's classroom, because they don't want to, you know, if they know their kid is the one that other kids are complaining about Mm -hmm. So that can be really difficult, just fear about all the unknowns and how do I do this? Where do I find the right schools and how can I afford therapies? And this is really overwhelming. And what if I have to homeschool? You know, like there's just a lot Mm -hmm. of things going on. So, and I think there's a lot of fear about what does this mean if my child knows they're different? And, you know, Mm -hmm. I just did an episode about that with Dr. Karen Wilson on my podcast, just about how important it is to really talk with our kids about what's going on. But that is a big stumbling block for a lot of parents Mm -hmm. because they don't want their kids to feel otherized. And Mm -hmm. so it's very complicated. It can also be tricky. I'll just say often two parents aren't on the same page early on. Yes, I hear that all the time. I'm sure you see that in Mm -hmm. your work too. And that Mm -hmm. can be incredibly challenging to navigate. It can be. And, um, and thinking about what's your messaging as a family in terms of celebrating your diversity and and it can get complicated because of, you know, genetic factors of likely having family members who are also, you know, neurodivergent, but in different generations that completely view it in a different way. So yes, there's still stigma out there, which is why we're still talking. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so we will um, keep talking until everyone feels like they understand this a little bit better and our kids can feel more accepted and better understood. And I think mm-hmm. the how I usually encapsulate this for parents is we all know that phrase of our people who get it. Like if, if we know, if we talk to it, it could be a teacher, it could be a, a relative, it could be another kid's parent. Like you were saying that fear of, I don't know how to support my child and I have to deal with these other people over here who don't get it. So mm-hmm. I know I learned early on to filter out like, just spending my energy on the people who got it and being able to expand. Like those were the people I was looking for in my community. And that's what I really think about when I think about the power of a parent community 
is building that little, you know, circle of people who really get it. You don't have to spend your energy explaining. You just go straight into this is the problem of the day and how can we support each other to get to that? So what has been your experience or maybe any stories that come to mind where you had to pivot or navigate, you know, away from maybe people who didn't get it? I I think we often... um, I often will encourage parents to really be intentional about managing your energy, that it is not your job to help everyone get it, but it is your job if that person is going to, like it's your child's teacher, Mm -hmm. to bring that person into your world. I'm just wondering what stories might come to mind for you. Well, I'll just say that I really struggled with that piece of it because I am someone who gets along with most people. I find most people interesting and I I value relationship and friendship. And, you know, we had just moved to Seattle like a month before my kid was born. And so I was really starting over. And um, it was really challenging trying to, you know, make friends with people and really putting myself out there and then having to learn the hard way. This is a safe person to be around. This isn't a safe person (laughs) from an emotional point of view. Right. And but that's what it feels like. Yeah. It feels like it isn't, you can't be vulnerable. And I would keep putting myself out there and keep being vulnerable and having it feel terrible, not only feel Mm -hmm. terrible because I felt so judged or misunderstood, but also I wouldn't show up for my kid very well in those moments Mm -hmm. because I would Mm -hmm. try to over explain what was hard (laughs) because I wanted them to really get it and see, this isn't my thing. I'm doing a really good job, you know? And so I would, you know, basically try to over explain my child's challenges, which is not really Mm -hmm. how I want to show up as a parent. One of the, you know, you asked about a story. I'm just remembering a time we, we ended up moving to the Netherlands after at the end of second grade. And that's where I homeschooled there for five years, very small homeschooling community. And I love the Dutch. Um, they're such a, they're like New Yorkers in many ways. They just say it as they see it They're They won't filter. It's, they have very strong opinions and I do love that. And it was difficult because there aren't a lot of homeschoolers there. And so our peer group was pretty small and I, I just remember I was so excited. I found this woman homeschooling a kid about Asher's age. We met up at a park and I was like, oh, thank God. You know, we found a, a friend for Asher and this will be great. And she was so dismissive, of, you know, like, well, I don't even believe in ADHD. And I don't, you know, everything that I said, I just got, got pushed back. And I just had to realize, okay, this is, unfortunately, this is not going to work for for either of us because- mm-hmm. I left those interactions feeling just terrible and unseen anyway. So that just made homeschooling pretty tricky, but that, that happened a lot. And so when, you know, when you find those people who really do get Mm -hmm. it and who see our kids, I just tell people, you hold on to those people. I collect them, you know, we Mm -hmm. we need those people in our lives. Mm -hmm. And was it around that time that you started the Tilt Parenting Podcast? Yeah, it was a few years later. So we moved in 2013 mm-hmm. and I took probably a year or two to find my groove with homeschooling cuz that was a whole other thing. Like I had sure. I had a vision for what our homeschool is going to look like and <laughs> Asher was like that's not what I think it's going to look like. So it took us a while to find our groove, but I did start actually writing in 
probably early 2015 or the end of 2014 mm-hmm. thinking I'll, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer. I've written a number of books and I thought I'll just write the book about this. And someday mm-hmm. I'll create this like really cool website where people can show up and feel like, wow, this is a, this is where I want to be. This isn't like a bad mm-hmm. thing. This is the cool club, you know? So I had that in the back of my mind. And then I ended up spending a year developing what would be Tilt and I launched it in 2016. So I was, mm-hmm. I was definitely in a better place as a parent and starting to, f- to figure out, you know, how to best show up for Asher and how to make it feel so much better for our whole family. Right. And that's a parallel to we have to get in a good place ourselves before we can help our kids. You know, I think we all that's why I, you know, kind of preach so much about parent mental wellness, because we can't then help other parents until we feel like, okay, I kind of got my feet under me with this. I I think I figured it out. And then anyone who has more than one kid, you know, when we had our younger son, who's, of course, totally different than the first one, you know, you got to do it all over again. And so I think that, you know, getting your feet under you for yourself. And then I just love what you've built, of course, and so many parents who have benefited from the podcast and your book. But I'm curious what you feel like are the most rewarding parts of building this community and watching it evolve over the last several years. Oh my gosh. I love this community so much. Like I definitely wanted parents to feel like they had access to really great content and mm-hmm. I love podcasting as a medium. So mm-hmm. I, I love that. It feels very personal and, um, that really has resonated with people. And so that was always super powerful, but then because I created tilt really as a revolution you know, mm-hmm. I, when I spent that year developing Tilt, I really tried to do it in a way that kind of embraced the the things that make social change movements successful. And I, I kind of weaved that in. And so I did see it as kind of a revolution. And I wanted Tilt to be, you know, waving the flag, like rally cry, like, this isn't OK. We're not going to take this anymore. Let's let's move forward. Mm-hmm. And so it did land that way for so many people. So that Mm -hmm. has been really exciting. You know, now the community, I hear from people, I get emails every day. I should be saving all of them, but I usually, I do make myself read them and just feel the energy from Mm -hmm. the, the, you know, the person who wrote that to me, but there's something about just finding, you know, when people find tilt and, and dive in like, or they they'll read the first chapter and they're like, oh my God, I I cried through this. I could have written this chapter. Mm-hmm. Like this was our right. life. And oh my God, I didn't know anybody else felt this way. Mm-hmm. And knowing that I've created something that has helped some people feel seen mm-hmm. in that way, that's like the first step because we can't start to shift things. We can't do the work on ourselves if we are stuck in this fear mindset, like this is terrible. Nobody else knows how hard this is. This will always be hard you know, just that just overwhelm, right. fight or flight. So yeah, so I think that has been the most surprising and most beautiful part for me. I, I have this differently wired club and we meet, you know, a couple times a month for office hours. And selfishly, like I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I created this community because I really needed this talk tonight. You know, right? I I think that I've always done that in my work. I've created what I've needed And Mm -hmm. I still need this community. And the way I see parents coming together and supporting each other and 
growing together, it just blows my mind. I, I'm so mm-hmm. grateful that I get to hang out with these really awesome humans who are really just committed to what we're doing here and love their kids so hard and are struggling so much, but they're just showing up every day. And that just, it makes me so happy. I want to say hi to all the teachers out there learning with me. Thank you so much for being an educator. I see you and appreciate you and how you keep showing up for our students every single day. In my work as a school psychologist, I know that it helps to have a way to stay organized when thinking about your students' needs. That's why I created two free resources for you. The regulation roster helps you notice how your students seek emotional regulation and keep track of it. And the reframing behavior worksheet helps you problem solve emotional dysregulation when it happens. For these free downloads, go to learnwithdremily.com slash roster or learnwithdremily.com slash reframing behavior to get started. Yeah. And, and something that I always come back to is, you know, our kids are so different, of course. Everyone is just having, you know, specific, when we think about the specific, like, concerns and strengths and all of the different asynchronous profiles, like, everyone is so different. Yet, when you find your people that get it, there's a, a level of respect and there's a level of safety, like you said, that was opposite from what you felt at the park that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I can say anything about my child's behavior and everyone here understands there's what, you know, this is like a stress response going on in their brain, for instance, or there's something out of alignment with skills and, you know, needs for support and interests, you know, all, all the things. Once you click with that, you know, mindset of this is the child having a hard time, not giving me a hard time. It's so powerful. And then it's just the container, right? Mm -hmm. For all the, I mean, there's so many variabilities that we're talking about with our kids, but all of that doesn't matter. It's the, it's that, that power of the community and the safety of that, which I agree. There is a definitely the timing of the shift that happened, I think was important between like our generation of how, when we were raised and then when our kids will be adults, um, I watch it unfold before my eyes with mm-hmm. how I listen to teenagers talk about neurodiversity. They blow my mind every day with like how open and accepting they are to each other, even elementary schoolers now mm-hmm. that talk about classmates needing something different and that's okay. And that's like, it's so much more normalized. I mean, we have a long way to go. There are still places This, of course are, are people that I'm training who are open to hearing <laughs> the ways that I'm I'm talking about things. So we have many, many um, other things, of course, in education to solve, but it's a start, right? And yeah. that community is the pa- the foundation of that community mindset is the power of that, right? Yeah, definitely. And I see, you know, just thinking about a, a call we had last week with my community and, you know, a parent was just talking about the systems that she was pushing back against and how hard it is to be in this, you know, I think it was a private school environment and having to kind of do so much education. And I was like, yeah, that's really hard. And you are paving the way for so many kids Mm -hmm. to follow you. Like every, Mm -hmm. everything that we do, like the stronger we can be as advocates and just feeling supported. And like, we are all in this together. It it is going to be a trickle down effect. And Mm -hmm. so it's, it is. It's really powerful. But we can't do that without 
kind of having the backing of a community that that we know mm-hmm. is there for us and that makes us feel stronger. Uh, yeah, definitely. You've already talked a little bit about what surprised you about these parents and the community, but what do you feel like has surprised you just about our society and culture? Any any curveballs, anything that you're like, okay, now we have to deal with this too. <laughs> Um, what comes to mind? I just, I feel like we're still, still all working on it and it's not all rosy, but, um, yeah, I think about education when I think about this question, but what comes to your mind? Yeah. I mean, education for sure, especially in this quote unquote post COVID era. Like I think I was Mm -hmm. very excited that the huge disruption we experienced was going to allow us to come back with these kind of fresh eyes and, that there would be a lot more room for, for creativity in the classroom and really questioning some of the practices and the testing and just the homework and all the things. Mm. I saw this opening for a lot of growth and evolution. And I feel like we went right back to, you know, it's like, I feel we like went we, right ba- there was an opening and we, we drove right by. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, you know, and, and I think some of this is how slowly, um, the money decisions are made through government with public schooling. And it that's sometimes why it takes so long for change to happen. But I think that we we can't stop because I think if we just continue talking about what teachers need and the funding behind it and the structural changes that are needed at some point, I, I do feel like even though there was definitely a window in terms of like we've learned some stuff. Like, what have we learned from like being at home for a year? I mean, I certainly learned some things about social development and how my nervous system feels after being on a screen all day you know, and doing telehealth for a year, which I did before I came back into the office. And so, I, I mean, I think that we all have learned these lessons. We just need to not forget these lessons because I, I do hope that there will be opportunities and little windows of, okay, we've got funding now. What do we need to do? And hopefully mm-hmm. someone will, will ask some people in these communities that I feel like are think tanks for some of the change mm-hmm. that is coming. It's just, it's timing and funding that yeah. make, makes a lot of difference too. Yes, it is a slow, it's going to be a slow change. I think two of the other things that popped up for me when you asked that question are, one, I'm still kind of surprised when I talk with certain groups of parents of of how especially groups of gifted and twice exceptional parents of how many people are just not willing to let go of their agenda. But, you know, Mm. they see like, this is what I want for my kid. This is this potential this child has and, and are not really willing to slow things down or to, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of really lean into a child's neurodivergence. So certain communities of parents, I'm still kind of surprised and I feel when I speak to those groups, I can see people are like, mm, no, I'm not going to uh, let my kid do this because that's not that's getting off the the road. And I and I want to stay on this path, you know. Yeah. And the other thing that's been happening, you know, you talked about the young people and their relationship with neurodivergence and how they just talk about it and they're so open. And I think just in general, the way that young people are considering their identity, you know, we've seen this huge change in gender identity Mm -hmm. exploration and that, you know, there's a much higher prevalence of gender nonconformity and exploration within the neurodivergent community. Mm -hmm. So I think that has been super interesting and I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm so curious to see this generation grow up and, 
and what that looks like for the future of work, you know, for the future of our society, because they are, they're just so different than we were. I know, I know. And I I think that they, when I think, well, like one example is I've I've heard, you know, therapists who work with teenagers and young adults say like, this is a generation that's going to demand the four day work week. Like, (laughs) I feel like they have seen, you know, they can do things remotely, and they can do things in person. And there's this flexibility and fluidity to everything, right? Mm -hmm. And yes, we see it the most in their formative years of if they're adolescents right now and and forming their identity, but I feel like they're going to apply it to everything and they're Mm going to throw out the rule book and and they are all, you know, they talk much more about their mental wellness than we ever did. And and I will Mm -hmm. coach parents all the time saying, you're learning to emotionally regulate yourself right alongside your child. Yeah. Because we are the ones that we may have gotten a little bit of, of you know, experience and talking to a school counselor or something like that, you know, back in the 80s, but probably not. And we are, we're, you know, learning to regulate ourselves right alongside them, for sure. Um, it's pretty cool. I mean, I think. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. And I'm a little older than you are. So, um, yeah, like I'm, I'm a kid of the. I graduated high school in 87 and there was just no talk about mental health whatsoever, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in my, my entire childhood. And I always say this, especially about neurodivergent kids, they are going to be the most emotionally intelligent, self-aware humans, because look at what we're helping them figure out. What does this feel like in your body? How can you support yourself in this moment? How can you, what are your (laughs) coping strategies? Like, oh my gosh, my life would have unfolded so differently if I had those tools. And it, you know, and I wasn't 35 when I realized how to do these things. And I'm still working on it, as you said. Exactly. And so, you know, and this ties back to something you said before about being surprised that there are um, groups that we'll talk to who are not, you know, kind of ready to let go of that agenda. I think part of that is the fear again, right? It's Mm -hmm. the fear of that unknown path. And you know, I'm absolutely, I've talked about this before, a recovering people pleaser, a recovering perfectionist. You know, there are many things that I felt like I achieved if I stayed in a lane, right? But no one taught me to undo that faster than my kids, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think there is a threshold that if you get to a certain level of dysregulation and, you know, a a life that is not sustainable as a parent, like a breaking point almost of like something has to change. If you haven't felt that as a parent, I think it is possible that you're kind of staying in that lane and and you're not letting go of the agenda. But there are, you know, absolutely families I've worked with and I experienced this myself that I had to find a different way. And I think Mm -hmm. you probably experienced that too. Like, like my way was not sustainable. Um, so I, I think that's part of the picture too. Absolutely. I mean, I always say that these kids demand that we show up for them. Like mm-hmm. we could choose to ignore what's going on and just, you know, forge ahead, but it's not going to work well. It's not going to mm-hmm. be good for our family, for the dynamic, our relationship with our kids and for their future trajectory. So if we decide to pay attention to what's going on and meet their demands, it is going to change our lives in the most incredible ways. Like I, there's a, you know, a talk that I I've given before just on the many, many gifts of raising these kids. And that's Mm -hmm. it. The fact that our kids demand so much from us 
it is so hard to be in it and constantly be doing this work and you think you've figured it out. And then the next curveball happens. You're like, oh my gosh, I thought we dealt with this. Now this is triggering this issue in me. So now I got to do this work on myself so that I can Mm -hmm. best meet this child's needs. And it's hard. It's exhausting, Mm -hmm. but it's so much more fulfilling to live a life Mm -hmm. that is that is more deeply explored where we really get to know ourselves so much better. I think it opens up so many possibilities for us. And that is one of the biggest gifts of these kids. I absolutely agree with you on that. So if you could go back and tell your younger mom self something, what would that be? Oh my God. I would have so (laughs) many things to say to her. Maybe what you just said for sure. You'd start with that. Like this is going to be rewarding at some point. Life is so crazy. I mean, I used to write books yeah. for teenagers because I needed to say all the things I wish I had known as a teenager. And, mm-hmm. you know, I can't get a do-over with that. The thing that I really struggle with right now is how I I really looked at everything as a behavior. And, right. you know, what did it mean that my child's behavior looked like this about me? And so I spend so much time trying to manage behaviors and control behaviors and fix behaviors because I took it all personally, you know, Mm -hmm. if I knew about the polyvagal theory back then, (laughs) I would have parented so much differently. Right. I would have looked at this kid and be like, oh my gosh, your poor little nervous system. Let me help regulate you. And so that I would give a whole lecture on polyvagal to my younger self if I could. And I also would just encourage that younger version of me to, to realize you can't control any of this. Like, Just give it up now because you are going to waste so much time trying to force your force. What's the the word in Star Wars? Like force will your family to be a certain way or force will your child Mm -hmm. to be a certain way. And you just it's not going to end well. So you just just give it up now and start leaning in. Mm -hmm. I think I would have saved myself a lot of angst had I done that earlier. And it's that leaning in. I know I know you probably feel this way. I've met people I would have not have met speaking about community and the the authenticity of people that is so refreshing when you just don't have any agenda but to be curious about people and get to know them and support them, which mm-hmm. is that power of community. It truly mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing you said that comes up for me that I often talk with parents about is that behavior is, of course, I think we know cognitively behavior is not a reflection of us if we're raising a neurodivergent child. It's a stress response. It's an unmet need, all these things. But I think we, some of us have a deeply ingrained feeling that parenting is like a performance. And if mm-hmm. our we're not doing it, quote unquote, well, as in our child behaving, then that's an somehow a knock to our worth, which very much drives a fear response of trying to control of of that. So I think a a lot of parents that I've talked to over the years, that's where that fear comes from. And when Mm -hmm. we can authentically show up for each other and talk about, because that's incredibly vulnerable stuff, Mm -hmm. and talk about that in a community, if we can heal that with each other, then we can show up for our kids so much better. Yeah, absolutely. I have nothing to add. You just said it all. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, what's next? So where to next on um, supporting parents raising neurodivergent kids? What do we need more of? What do you see in the landscape moving forward? Well, I think 
that school piece is a, a big mm-hmm. piece of it. I've been really sparked by Dr. Lori DeSoto's work. Yes. And I don't know, for me, I'm like, all right, this is where, you know, there's just too many kids who are being traumatized in mm-hmm. school and mm-hmm. not just in the U.S., but having lived in the EU for a number of years, I, I see such a great need there and, you know, in other countries where there there's really not much acceptance at all of neurodivergence. I think this this work of helping people really understand nervous systems and, and what's happening with kids, that's where I feel like most of the, mm-hmm. inner, you know, the work has to be done. And I also think, you know, we talked about this generation. I think there's a huge opportunity to really support these kids, all kids from a very, very early age to just mm-hmm. embrace their own neurodivergence, to understand what it looks like in other people so that they aren't adults like being like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Or they're not looking at someone's, uh, you know, coping, healthy coping strategies, their stimming or whatever they need in an environment as a negative. It's just like, oh, that's what that person needs. So mm-hmm. I get excited about kind of the openness of this new generation of people to kind of grow up with so much more awareness and understanding. And I think that's going to shift everything, you know, for future generations. I agree. Well, thank you so much for your time today and for joining us. I thoroughly enjoyed this discussion and anything you would like to add to share with anybody about where they can find you and where they can learn more from you. Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me to have this conversation with you. I'm excited for your new podcast and that you're doing this work. And um, still remember when we got to meet in person many, many years ago now. Many Um, years ago. That's right. Yes. Yes. Gosh, I have that was a picture of us COVID. together. Yeah. Anyway, um, so anyway, it's it's. I'm I'm really happy to see you you doing more and more and and getting your voice out there in this way. In terms of where I can uh, where people can find me, Tilt Parenting is kind of the home for everything. So I have you know my podcast there. I'm always working to make it more easy to find the episodes that you need because I've done you know over 300 at this point, and that can be overwhelming. Um, but there are a lot of resources on there. Um, that you can dive into. And I'm also at Tilt Parenting on Instagram and on Facebook. All right. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Emily. This has been Learn with Dr. Emily at the podcast. For more resources, including both parent, teacher, and school resources, visit learnwithdremily.com or read my substack at learnwithdremily.substack.com. Also, we are publishing this podcast weekly, so make sure you're subscribed by pressing the plus, follow, or subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're using right now. This podcast is edited by EarFluence. All information discussed on this podcast is for educational purposes only. If you have immediate concerns about your child, please reach out to a mental health or medical professional. I'm Dr. Emily King, and we will keep learning together next week.